Our Bible reading is taken from Luke, and it's chapter 4, verses 16 to 22. And it can be found on page 1031 of the Church Bibles. It's Luke 4, verses 16 to 22. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Um, like everyone, I went to bed depressed last night, uh, having watched the rugby, uh, and I thought, I'm coming here tomorrow. And it occurred to me, I left here, and I know what it's like, you know, someone comes to speak, and you judge them immediately. So uh, you're thinking, can God really speak to someone who looks like he's still a sixth former? Um, well, last night I went to bed, and it occurred to me, I, I worked out, it was 30 years ago that I left uh, this church, and I, I left this church about the same age as my daughter is now. My daughter's about nine now. And that was a major worry for me because the other, I have two memories of this church. One is climbing up the steeple and the other is that I had a massive crush on the vicar's daughter. And um, so last night as I went to bed, I realized, hang on, if I was the age where I had a crush on people, my daughter is now at the age where she's got her first crushes going. And if you're a father to any daughters, you know what a, you'll know what I'm talking about, big worries. So um, just a quick plug, if you want to read, I wrote a book when I was overseas, uh, really trying to explore where God is in disasters and conflict areas, and, and um, uh, it's full of stories, really. If you're interested, have a look, buy it, eight squid. Uh, all the money goes to Tear Fund, where Kay works, and I uh, got to know Kay because I became her valet a couple of times, once in Burundi and uh, twice in Central African Republic, and she is my heroine, which is great. So, um, yeah, great. Um, just very quickly, if we click on the first slides, um, yeah, I guess I came back from nine years of working with Tear Funds, and this passage here, a loop forward, my favourite passage, a sense of holistic mission, which includes uh, releasing the oppressed, proclaiming the good news, and I wanted to work for a charity that did that. Couldn't find any anywhere, and uh, if we just go up one more. One more. Go up. That's down. Uh, so I set up this charity, Hope Into Action, uh, which hopefully will never, ever lose its spiritual edge and always uh, try and release the oppressed. And I sometimes describe our mission as getting the poor uh, population and the church population to come together. Um, so I'm going to talk a bit about uh, God's anger today and injustice and as an underpinning to mission. Uh, and then this, this evening I'm going to talk a bit about that, but also talking more about uh, mission in this country. I've spent seven years now working with the homeless in this country and also looking at what shame means and how many people, many of our tenants, many of the people we work with now have a deep sense of shame. What is the difference between guilt and shame and trying to look at that? And how did Jesus minister 
to those who had shame, which is distinct from those who had guilt. So if you're interested, and especially those who are sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, if you're interested, particularly those who have suffered abuse or violence, you haven't done anything wrong, and yet you suffer shame. So anyway, that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Come along. Uh, Today, I'm just going to talk about uh, injustice and God's anger. Um, And this passage, if we click down one more, uh, my favorite passage. Uh, This was God's, this is Jesus' mission. This was his job description. This is what he said he's coming on earth to do. If he was coming on earth to do it, we ought to be doing it as well. And therefore, it needs to be our mission as well. So very often, I go to this and and I started Hope into Action because I came to this country. I didn't see this going on. I'll unpack that a bit more. I saw lots of people serving the poor, but not many people serving the poor and proclaiming the good news. Does, does that make sense? Actually, I found it easier to talk about my faith under, in Khartoum under Sharia law than I did in England working for a, an organization uh, serving the poor. That was my experience. How can you set up an organization that never loses this spiritual edge based here? So if you look at this, um, when I worked for Tiffin Overseas, when I came back and I spoke, I'd always talk about this as a sense of God is a God of injustice. He did, you know, he's come to release the oppressed, to set captives free. Who are the oppressed? Actually, if you want to understand who the oppressed are, it's it's a different language to the poor. Um, And sometimes the oppressed... uh, if you work in a, in a village, uh, Gambella or someone like that, you want to release the oppressed in that village. How do you do that? Well, actually, you need to work on their water issues. You need to work on their trauma issues. You need to work on their education issues. You need to work on their sanitation issues, their agricultural issues. All those things are the things that oppress them. If you want to release the oppressed, you need to do all of those things. Um, and uh, that, that really will set the captives free. Uh, in this country, if you're addicted to a drug or anything like that, you are, you are actually oppressed by that drug. And you need, you need to release people from that if you want them to grow, if you want a community to grow. And that's what good development is. Um, so sometimes I judge organizations and, and uh, projects. Are you giving to or are you working with? Uh, it's, it's really important to give to as part of a whole. But if you want to release people from oppression, because Jesus didn't say, I've come to give things to poor people. He said, I've come to release the oppressed and set captives free, literal and physical. And the number of times I go back to these verses and think, my God, have I got this right? Am I doing this right? Um, What does recovery of sight for the blind mean? Yes, it means health care. It means literally, physically helping people who are blind. But so many people in our society are blind as well. Uh, I remember working with an ex-offender. He had no idea how relationships work. He'd first been in prison at 13. He's now 40-odd. He just doesn't get people yet. He's blind as to how human beings interact with each other. Um, Okay, we need to give him that... Pray that, you know, over time his eyesight improves. Um, if we click on to the next one, uh, just down, I just highlight that in here, in these, there are only 56 words in here, and I just think it's the most amazingly well written passage. 56 words, it's really hard to get anything. I just highlight proclaim, preach, proclaim. proclaim. Jesus came to proclaim. Um, he became freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight of the blind, release the oppressed, and proclaim again. So if we want to be following it, how do we... We can't lose this proclamation element. We can't lose the... the uh, what, what we're doing has to, has to be an expression of our faith as well. We've got to give people the good news as well as releasing them from oppressed. That was Tear Fund's mandate, so I was very much brought up and indoctrinated in that. And when I came to the UK, I found that very few organisations do that. That's my experience. Do both. This sense of releasing people from the oppressed and proclaiming the good news and 
uh, and, 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 and prayer. I think the word and is really important. I love there's a verse in Mark 1 or 2, it is, and he says, Jesus preached and healed people from their demons. Um, so often people do one thing. Or they, I went to a men's group once, they said, no, we're just discipling. We're not going to do outreach. We're just discipling. I said, I don't, I don't know that's, that's really biblical, because Jesus, how did Jesus disciple Peter? He didn't just take him away and talk to him. Do you see what I mean? He took him out there. He got him actually feeding the 5,000. Um, so this word and, I think, is very important. This holistic sense of what are we doing? Are we releasing the oppressed and proclaiming? Are we praying into that as well? Um, so I, I, just when I was at Exeter University, probably the best university in the world, um, I, I can remember one night staying up, as you do as a student, you know, late into the night, drinking too much beer and that sort of thing. And a bloke said to me, he said, the thing is the Old Testament. He said, you've got the God of the Old Testament who's really angry and he's full of wrath. And the God of the New Testament who's really nice and fluffy. And the two just don't add up. And they're completely distinct. And uh, I, that, that, I didn't have an answer to that. That totally floored me. I, I was the only Christian in the room. And I thought, I, I haven't really got my head around that. And I thought, well, yeah, I was brought up on a Jesus that was kind of nice and fluffy. I can remember, uh, you know, learning the fruits of the spirits and, and goodness and whatever they were, faithfulness. And, and as, a child, as a young person growing up, I would pray for more patience. Lord, give me more patience. Um, I then got married, and very kindly my wife began praying that prayer for me, which was lovely. Um, we're both hoping he will hurry up. But um, so that, that was kind of very much my, my, my background as a, as a young person growing up. And I remember going to camps, and um, the, 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 we had this phrase at these kind of Christian camps, which was, smile, Jesus love you, loves you. And it was kind of like, you know, we'd often say that, and we'd write in our letters. These were days when we wrote letters to people, and we'd write to each other, smile, Jesus loves you. And it was kind of like a kind of a really cool thing to say if you're in the in club, which was the kind of Christian group. So we'd sort of say that. And, I, you know, I loved it. I used to enjoy that, and I got that. Um, and I can remember then being um, in Khartoum once, and I went to, walked into a missionary friend's house, and on the fridge was this same phrase, smile, Jesus love you. And uh, this is my indoctrination, you know, this is my, this is my upbringing, really. And I, but for some reason on that day, it got under my skin, and it really annoyed me. And I just, it, I, I clearly was in a bad mood. But I can remember it just sort of, uh, just got under my skin. And I was feeling a bit pernickety. So about a week later, I was actually in Darfur, and I had a day off, um, and there's nothing to do there. And I looked at the, you know, this was a town, a town called Mestre, which is surrounded by eight different armed groups. And I sat on a rock, and I got this Bible open. And like I say, I was bored and feeling pernickety, and I looked up in this Bible the word smile. How many times in the concordance is the word smile in this Bible? Anyone interested? Has it a guess? None. Correct. Not once is the word smile in here. So I thought that was really interesting. It always takes me ages to look anything up in the concordance. So I was on S's. So I thought I'll stick with S's. Sorrow. I looked up sorrow. How many words, how many times is sorrow in the Bible? Six. I'll let you on. So six, which I thought, you know, that was interesting, including this one from Romans 2, where Paul said, I have unceasing sorrow and anguish in my heart. That was really interesting because I didn't get taught about that in my camps. Can you imagine going to home group and saying, how are you doing? Yeah, I've got unceasing anguish and sorrow. You'd feel a little bit judged, wouldn't you, by the Christians in the room. Um, so then I was still on S's, so I thought I'll look up sad. Sad comes in once in my Bible. Anyone know where it might be? There was a rich young ruler um, where Jesus looked at him, loved him, gave him some hard truth, and then he walked away sad. So I, I came to the conclusion, well, maybe actually be sad Jesus loves you is nearly the actual biblical truth um, 
Uh, of course, look, blind Bartimaeus, he would have left with an enormous amount of joy. He would have been, uh, you know, so would uh, the bleeding women and all these other people, Jesus. And we've all experienced that joy of the Lord. But I guess uh, the reason I say this is, uh, it goes back to that question, is it an angry God we've got or is it a happy, fluffy God? And uh, I guess I'd never really answered that until uh, one time I flew into, on a math plane probably, flew into a place in South Sudan called uh, uh, Liek. There, there, there we had a, a big feeding program, our biggest ever feeding program we'd had, more numbers of children coming in than we'd ever had before. And I knew the, 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 the top nurse there was a lass called Taddy. She was Ethiopian, really, really experienced nurse, nurse in her 50s. And she showed me round uh, our hut that we had, to, which was our therapeutic in-care in centre. And I've never seen... I'd done this job for a few years now. I had never seen such a collection of rag and bones as I had then. Hips, you know, shoulder blades protruding from young children's shoulders, hip bones, really just, just awful, awful pictures of humanity, totally malnourished and ill and right on the edge of death's door. And Taddy and I walked out of there, and uh, I was pretty hard, so I didn't cry. But even T Taddy was far harder than I was, and she was an emotional wreck. And we just we stood there and prayed. And that night, um, we sat around each night after had a meal, and our nurse and our nutritionist said, look, we've got two babies here right on the edge of death. We need to pray for these babies. So we sat around and we prayed for these babies. And uh, two of the nurses stayed up all night with both these ch children. And I went to sleep, and I woke up early, and I, I can remember going into this, this hut in the morning, and uh, both children had died. And um, th there they were, lying there the, as a corpse. The mothers were lying next to them. They buried the, they wrapped them up, and they're going to pick these babies up and walk about six hours back to their homes where they could bury them. And uh, it just hit me like I'd never been hit before. And uh, I can remember going up. I, I was the kind of like the manager, so I was supposed to be the kind of important. So, or the, the kind of, uh, anyway. So I went up to this beautiful Kenyan nurse. Uh, Concepta was her name. And she had these sort of deer-like eyes looking up at me. And I just wanted to, she'd stayed up all night. And I said, I, I wanted to just speak to her. And I couldn't, you know, just sort of comfort her or say something encouraging to her. I couldn't find the words to say. And I ended up like this wobbly lip and blubbing into tears and just had to leave her. It's just very embarrassing. And then I went to the nutritionist, who was also Kenyan, and I said, look, I'm really, you know, I'm, you know, I think you've done a great job, and I'm really sorry. Same thing happened. I just lost it and started crying. And I was like, Ed, you're just useless. You're no good to anyone here. So I took myself off, and I had a shower. And in the shower, I just allowed myself to cry and blubber like an absolute baby. And as I was doing that, I realized, well, what emotion is going on in me Actually, yes, it's compassion, it's grief, all that stuff. Actually, no, it's anger. Uh, it's all those other things as well. But what I found when I stripped away all this stuff, I found real anger in me. And it was an anger that this, these women had to walk six hours to get care. They had, didn't have any medicines where they were. They didn't have any food where they were. For the want of two or three decent meals and decent milk, these children died. And I was angry about that. And it was that anger that was driving my emotions. And then I reflected on that. I thought, well, hang on. Anger, is that right? Yeah, no, hang on. The anger is born out of a love for humanity. Because I saw these women and I saw these children and I felt a love for them and a compassion for them, actually, I'm angry that they don't have the care that they ought to have. So actually, if God loves the world and he loves these children or whatever it may be, of course he's angry when things aren't right for them. So if someone beat up my children... I would be angry with the person that beat up my children. Not because I'm a horrible person, but because I love my children. 
And I don't want them being beaten up or being... Do you, do you see what I mean? So actually, this God of anger is our God of love. And it's his love. His love wouldn't be genuine unless... It, because his love's genuine, it has to express itself in an anger when you face injustice or sexual exploitation or lack of food and everything else. And suddenly, you realize, ah, oh, right, it begins to make sense now. The angry God in the Old Testament is the same as the fluffy God. Actually, no, it's not, because when Jesus said these words, I would love to have heard him say this speech when he spoke. Because remember, he was oppressed, he was a refugee, and when he stood up and said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to release the oppressed, I bet everyone's, you know, hairs on everyone's necks stood up and crackled. Because he was speaking from such a place of passion and a place of righteous anger that people are still oppressed 2,000 years ago and are still oppressed today in Thailand, in Gambella, and everywhere else you guys are working. Um, so actually, understanding this, rather than sort of um, being a bit ashamed about this God of anger and not really knowing how to sort of deal with it, uh, actually, I suggest for myself, actually, it's about coveting this anger, Lord. Actually being proud of it, understanding it, saying, Lord, if I'm to have your love for this world, I need to, it's going to express itself in an anger for me within me and that's okay it's okay to be angry and now it makes sense okay that's why jesus turned the tables that's why he got upset with people that's why they pop at the pharisees okay it's from love it is from love of course it's from love that makes a lot of sense now um i was going to say quite a few things uh today and um you all know about serving the poor and as i was coming down on my train today i thought lord god what, what, what do you actually want me to say because i've kind of done talks like this several times and uh, so I was scrapping what I was going to say, and I'm going to say now um, what I thought God wanted me to say, which was um, just this word, go. Go. I don't know if there's... Uh, I mean, you've got plenty of people that are going in this church. That's, that's really impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're all bowled over by the number of people there. But maybe uh, there are some other people here that God is calling to go. Um, I, I, I don't know your experience of churches, but or Christian... I often hear the word wait used quite a lot in churches. Like, wait upon the Lord. Great. Uh, wait upon, I, I find people saying wait an awful lot. And I, and I read the Bible and I, I see the word go an awful lot. So one time, again, feeling pernickety, I got out Google now and I looked up how many times is the word wait in the Bible and how many times is the word go in the Bible. And do we reflect that in our, in our sort of liturgies and so on? I found the word wait was in the Bible about 100 times. So God tells you roughly 100 times perhaps once every three days wait per year. The word go is in the Bible something like 1,200 times. So actually, a major message coming through the Bible from Genesis right through to Jesus' final words is go. Someone in the prayer meeting again today was really affirming because they said, you know, you have all the authority on earth, the Great Commission, and now go. Don't faff about, just go. Don't stop, stop waiting, Go. And um, I think sometimes we can over-spiritualize this sense of, is God, wait, is God calling me? Um, if I'm a bloke and I'm going out with a girl and I'm thinking, do you know what, I want to marry this girl, I don't wait for God to tell me. Sooner or later, he may tell me by whatever means, sooner or later I've actually got to go and buy a ring. God won't buy that ring for me. The wedding won't happen unless I do something about it. So if God is calling me to marry this girl, I've got to go and ask her. Does that make sense? Sometimes I think we have this theology that we just wait and I will get married. No, no one thinks like that, do they? I'll wait and I'll go to this girl and we'll just somehow wake up and now she'll be wed to me and that's fine. 
No, you don't think like that. And yet, we, if, if God is calling us to go, stop faffing around and just go. I like Joseph, the, you know, the, in, in Luke, uh, the one married to Mary. Uh, he had the dream, and God told him to go. And what did he do? He gets up. He's a brave man, by the way, because he gets the baby up, who's asleep. Anyone's had a child, doesn't get the baby up without asking permission from the wife. So, you know, he, he, he's prepared to take the wrath of the wife. He gets the baby up, and he, he just goes. God didn't tell him where he was going to go very specifically. He said, go to Egypt. Egypt is quite a big place. Well, where about which? There are, plenty, there are three routes to Egypt. Just, just go. God will guide you. When God called uh, Abraham, I think it's uh, Genesis 11 or Genesis 12, verse 1, he says um, this, go to the place I will show you. He didn't say, go to Gambella, GPS coordinates, dot, dot, dot. He just said, go to the place I will show you. There's that sense that when we start moving, God starts guiding us. And Abraham went. He didn't faff around. He didn't talk to anyone. He didn't, he just, he didn't wait. He just went. And perhaps there are people here who are thinking, is God calling me? Isn't there? Is God calling me? Isn't there? Just go. Um, when you work overseas... Uh, it's really empowering because it's really exciting because you know that God's called you there. It, it's far harder to feel called in England, in my experience. It's far harder to be a missionary in England. But you're surrounded by other people who've got on the plane as well and also know that God's calling there and therefore we're really alive and we're really excited and you form quite strong uh, relationships because we're alive, because we know God's called us there. Um, so that was my main experience from sort of 22 to 31. I met people who knew they'd been called and they got on the plane and, and we were there. Um, I come to England and quite a few times now since I've been to England. I've done talks or I've been to places or I've been and I've spoken to people and they go, I really feel, you know, God's called me or there's this on my heart or this and this or I'm thinking about starting this. Or, you know. And you think, that's awesome. How can I encourage you in that? Let's, let's. Um, and then sort of six months later, you sort of tap into them and they go, oh, how are you doing? Yeah, what's, yeah, what's up? What, do you know that conversation we have? What, what's, uh, oh, well, you know, uh, my job came up and this and I met a girl and blah de blah and kind of very smile very politely bottom line is they haven't gone do, 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 you, do you see what I mean and you're never too old to go by the way Caleb he sorted out the uh, whatever he sorted out got the promised land when in, in his 80s um, so don't sit there thinking yeah it's great for young Lucy she's, she's you know in her 20s then were the days no 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 God can still call you to go uh, he can still call you to go uh, I met a lass uh, recently from Tear Fund who mid late 20s I would think maybe early 30s uh, really gifted, intelligent, erudite, good-looking, all those sort of things. How are you doing? Catch up. I haven't seen for ages. What are you up to? Yeah, do you know what? I think God is calling me. I'm good. I've just signed up to go to Afghanistan. Nuts. Dangerous place. Not only did the Taliban bomb you, so does the U.S. government and NATO, it seems. But um, So anyway, but I said, all right, listen. So how did you come to that decision? She goes, well, you know, it wasn't easy, and I thought about it, and I know I'm a female, and I know I'll be vulnerable, but I spoke about my parents. Uh, I just feel I should go. And uh, she said, I've just got a real heart for the women out there uh, who are oppressed. And I just feel called to be with them. Late 20s, not a good time, you know, to go for a single lady, arguably. Uh, lots of risks, lots of dangers. She wasn't stupid. She wasn't naive. She chatted about people, but she went. And she was an inspiration to me. Um, and yeah. I'm going to, that's really my message. Uh, I'm aware time is against us. I'm just going to end on a prayer. It's one of my favorite prayers. I'm going to let you read through it, uh, and then we'll just end by saying this prayer. 
It's one of my favorite prayers. So if you click down one more time. Can you read that? Bad luck if you can't. Uh, it's a good prayer. You missed it. Uh, so just I'll let you read it uh, to yourself. There, there are four verses, actually. And um, then I'll tell you a story, and then we'll end on it. Next one. Um, I'll just tell you the story about this. I first came to the Cross's Prayer when I was uh, in Khartoum, and um, I loved it. I thought this is great. I learned it. I committed it. I thought this is really exciting. I'm going to pray it. I'm going to pray it for my, my family. I'd have one daughter at that stage. I prayed it for my daughter. I thought this is great. She's going to be a kind of, uh, you know, Florence Nightingale. Isn't that exciting? How romantic. After she's won Wimbledon, of course. That's great. Um, and then one day I was looking after her and we were playing by the pool and she was just toddling around. She was 18 months or perhaps 12 months or something like, you know, that sort of age. Unbelievably cute when they're walking, you know, and they're just sort of tottering. And uh, it was early, I was the only one in the, in, in the pool, just me and her. I was watching it and I just prayed it for her. And uh, the day before, one of my colleagues had come into my, uh, female colleagues had come into my you know, office and something had happened and she was just in a flood of tears, total tears. She'd been in a real mess of a situation. And, um, you know, I, being a bloke, I didn't really know what to do, so I sort of, you know, I don't know what I did. But, you know, just had to sort of try and deal with this, this woman in tears. Um, and then I suddenly connected that scene I was in yesterday with the prayer I was praying today. And I thought, flipping egg, do I really want to pray that prayer for my daughter? Do I really want my daughter to suffer? Sounds romantic. Reality is hard. I just saw it yesterday. Do I really want my daughter to go through that? Wow don't think I do actually I'm now understanding the prayer that I'm praying there's a cost to this prayer I as a father might have to see my daughter suffer wow that's not easy and as I was thinking about this flipping it can I pray this prayer I stumbled I didn't get through the prayer I'm like flipping it God what do I do now and then I remembered he sent his son his only son he had to watch his son suffer why because he so loved those Afghan women. He so loved those Gambana people. He so loved those people exploited by sexual exploitation. He so loved those Sudanese. He so loved that mother that no one knows, I can't even remember her name, who lost her child, that he sent his son to suffer and die for us so that we might love. Okay, now I understand the Father's heart a bit more. Now I understand what God's done for me a bit more. Now I relate to how much God loves us and me. And am I prepared to pray that prayer for mine? So... We're going to end. If we can just go back up, um, I'll, lead us, I'll lead us through it. As we're praying now, just commit your spirit to God, yourself. God's going to call you somewhere, in your workplace, in your work, wherever it is. He's going to call you somewhere, and your family. Don't just pray that they become, you know, nice kids that find a Christian bloke. Is that the best we can pray for our, you know? Let's, let's pray bigger prayers for our kids. So, God, if you want to pray it out loud or in your heart or whatever, just uh, I'll say it aloud. Just pray it from your heart. That's all that really matters. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. 
May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears. You with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done and to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Amen.